Hey guys, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome to the season two premiere of Unnatural. It's finally here, Emily. I'm so excited. We made it! We did! <laughs> what do we got going on today? Today, we are headed to Pennsylvania to talk about a young girl with a rebellious and troubled childhood. You know, most kids go through a rebellious phase, whether it's running away, skipping class, smoking cigarettes, developing a crush on a school staff member. It, it just kind of happens. I had a crush on one of my teachers in seventh grade. It's a thing for girls. Anyway, unfortunately for this young lady, her rebellious stage would lead her to a 10-year imprisonment by someone who was supposed to be keeping her safe. As we go through this story, we'll see how the police, her school, and even her family failed her. This is the story of Tanya Cash. believe in trigger warnings for true crime podcasts because it's true crime you kind of should know what you're getting yourself into yeah we're labeled explicit however this one does deal a lot with child abuse grooming and rape so if that's not your thing or if it's something you don't want to be listening to i would move on that being said Tanya Nicole Cash was born on October 14, 1981 in Monongahela, Pennsylvania, a town just outside of Pittsburgh. Her parents, Jerry and Sherry, were high school sweethearts. Imagine, imagine that in high school. You have Jerry and Sherry together. Oh, Jerry and Sherry. Jerry it's a match and made love, in heaven. I know. I love it when people's names rhyme. They got married and had Tanya, who was their only child, which... Same, only child gang. Now, her dad was a union butcher and her mom worked at McDonald's, so they weren't living a glamorous a glamorous life, but they did live comfortably. Her dad made a decent amount of money and, you know, mom working at McDonald's was bringing home the bacon too, sometimes literally. Yeah, so working class family. Yeah. Now, as a child, Tanya loved going to Bible camps and she was big into crafts. So she did become, you know, she had her faith. She was pretty religious. She was also an avid Girl Scout. And in her book, Memoir of a Milk Carton Kid, she says that she was the best at selling cookies. So she had that going for her. She was just this young girl. She was super outgoing, super bubbly. Um, she was popular in school, which, I mean, the whole bubbly. Oh, she was she was also just radiated confidence for being like seven, eight years old. She just seemed like she was an awesome kid. Yeah, I certainly didn't radiate confidence when I was seven or eight years old. I'm 31 and I do not radiate confidence. <laughs> so there's that. I don't think I even knew what confidence was back then. Yeah, no, same. <laughs> so her life seemed to be great until when she was seven 
Her dad got sick with pneumonia and ended up having to be hospitalized for a couple of weeks. This was this put a huge financial strain on the family, especially because her mom, Sherry, was a bit of a shopaholic. Hmm. And she was running up credit card debt like nobody's business. Her mom did have a bit of undiagnosed mental illness, which we'll really start to see later. And she did have a tendency to act erratically sometimes. And she would have affairs. Did did the dad know about the affairs or? I think so. And I think he just kind of chalked it up to whatever. He didn't want to lose her. Yeah. Well, and like throughout this whole thing, we'll kind of see that Jerry is allegedly pretty aloof to just about everything. We say allegedly because there's ongoing legal stuff happening to this day. So now with dad being sick and not having his income coming into the home, Sherry became pretty abusive towards Tanya. In her diary, she talks about being afraid that her mom wanted to kill her after she pointed a steak knife at her and said, I'm going to fucking kill you, bitch. Yeah. If somebody said that to me, I would think that they wanted to kill me. Well, imagine it being your mom and you're just this little baby, basically seven, eight years old. It, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, her parents did eventually split up and there was a pretty lengthy and rough court battle for custody. Sherry was actually forced out of their home and was committed to a mental health facility for a point in time in custody of mm. Tanya went to her dad. As it sounds like it should have. Yeah, and it sounded like everything was going pretty okay in regards to that until her mom got out of the mental facility and started terrorizing Tanya and her dad. So she tried to break into their house several times. She even threw a brick at the window. She was stalking her and her dad. And dad, Jerry really didn't do anything except he would tell Tanya, go outside, tell your mom to leave. Now, yeah, not exactly the child's job to do that. Right. I agree. Now, there was this one instance where Sherry tried to get into the house again, and Jerry did end up calling the police. And Sherry somehow managed to convince the police and a judge to let her go back to living in the house. Whoa. Yeah. That's a drastic change. Yeah. Tanya, having her mom back in the house, was obviously super terrified. So she called her friend George and asked him to come and stay with her. So they both were kind of hunkered down in the basement, hiding from her mom, just kind of going nuts upstairs. And and how old was she at the time? I think she was seven or she was seven or eight. Okay. Okay. Now, the next day, her dad, you know, went to the judge and was like, hey, this woman should not be allowed back in my house. And she was forced to leave again. And then her parents did finally and officially get divorced. Thank God. Yeah. For them and the kid. Yeah. So Tanya and her dad didn't end up moving away to a town called McKeesport, still in Pennsylvania. Um, Jerry met a woman named Joanne McGuire, and they began dating. Now, Joanne had a son from a previous relationship, 
and they decided to combine households rather quickly. Mm, Like the Brady Bunch. But, yeah, kind of just less kids. But Joanne was kind of the perfect embodiment of the evil stepmother. She kept her distance from Tanya. She really didn't want anything to do with her and basically began to shun her. Like, she would plan family outings, but Tanya wasn't included. And So she goes from an evil mother to an evil stepmother. Yeah. She, she just can't catch a break with moms here. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the worst part is allegedly Jerry this whole time is just dealing with it. Yeah. Not really... Not dealing with it, actually. And like you said, being aloof, it sounds like. Yeah. And, you know, Joanne would also kind of just give Tanya weird punishments. When when they all would leave, she would take the only phone with her so she wouldn't be able to contact anybody. You know, mind you, this is the 90s, so the Internet's not a thing. Cell phones aren't a thing. Wow. She would take her bedroom door away from her so she would have really no privacy. So it was just, you know, kind of those little, little things like that, that, you know, on the outside. She'd be power tripping really hard. Yeah. And she just, she just basically took everything that she could away from Tanya just because she was, who knows? She was jealous. She just didn't like her. She felt intimidated. Who knows why people do this kind of shit to kids. Mm -hmm. But... Tanya starts eighth grade at Cornell Intermediate School, and she's not really fitting in. You know, she was she was used to being the popular kid, and now that's not really the case anymore. She went from like a really white suburban type of area to I think McKeesport is a little bit more inner city because she mentions in her book that most of her classmates were black so she experienced a little bit of a culture shock and she started running with a crowd that was into skipping class and smoking cigarettes and drinking and hey i remember that crowd i was that crowd me too not in eighth grade (laughs) but so in may of 95 when she's 13 years old she ran away from home to be with her mom wow of all people yeah, even every even everything that she had been going through with her mom, she still preferred her to the stepmom. Yeah. Yeah. So she ran away to her mom's and obviously as per the custody order, she couldn't stay there, so she was brought back to her dad's house. She got a nice long lecture from him and Joanne. And we'll see later that she starts running away to her mom pretty frequently. She's skipping class. But she did meet a family that lived up the street and started babysitting for them. So she was getting a little bit of money, which was super nice. Yeah. Until the husband, Kevin Churchfield, began sexually abusing her. Oh, my God. Jesus. Well, she talks about this in her book but um mm. the reason i guess kind of why it's significant is i mean she was she was she wrote in her diary a lot and she'll in her book she references a lot of her diary entries yeah but joanne found her diary looked through it saw the post about or you know saw her 
entry about Kevin who he wasn't he wasn't like raping her but he he was having her touch him and mm. trying to get her to give him blowjobs and shit Jeez, like that. What a scumbag. Yeah. So Joanne told Jerry and I guess you know he did he did call the cops but Nothing was done about it. There were no charges filed. Unbelievable. But Kevin, like, she wasn't allowed. Obviously, she wasn't allowed to go over there and babysit anymore. And Kevin did keep away from her. He didn't try to pursue it any longer because I guess he probably figured, like, oh shit, well, this is already on the books. Well, he so probably felt, keep- yeah, I'm lucky as fuck. I didn't go to jail here. Yeah. Asshole. Yeah. Jesus. Now, through even throughout all of this, um, Tanya was able to remain spiritual, which I guess, you know, good for her, because I feel like a lot of kids, when bad stuff happens to them, they turn the other way. Yeah. 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 And, you know, she she started running away more either to her mom's house or you know friends houses, just kind of trying to get away, even if it, it most of the time it was just a few hours. And, you know, she was struggling with all these changes in her life. You know, she's 13. It's it's that time in girls' and boys' lives where you're going through all these changes. And it makes it especially hard when you have just a crappy home life yeah. like this. Now, she said in her book, quote, I thought my prayers had been answered in late 1995 when Thomas Hose, a security guard at my new school, appeared interested in me before I truly understood the trap in which I was ensnared, end quote. So, spoiler alert, Thomas John Hose is the scumbag that kidnaps her Mm. and holds her captive for a freaking decade. Oh, my God. A decade. So, now we're... Gonna kind of get into how their relationship started, how it developed, and because it, it this wasn't one of these things where she was nabbed off the street. Yeah, this right. He slowly kind of corralled her in. It sounds like how old was he? He was in his mid to late thirties. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. And my guess is. This probably may have never taken place had that molestation not taken place before with the father who she was babysitting for. You know what I mean? The correlation was things like that. Well, I think a lot of it was that her stepmom, her dad, her mom. Yeah. She was an only child. She really didn't have she really didn't have anyone looking out for her no one to turn to tom thomas knew this he knew you want to know how he knew how because he saw her probably thought she was cute and so and like basically manipulated and asked the school counselor to look at her files so he knew all of this that's fucked up going into it because she she mentions in her book that like they they would talk and they were you know kind of getting to know each other and she would say oh i feel like you, i feel, i just feel like you know me and he would say stuff like well i had a really shitty childhood too so i know what you're going through which might be the case might not it, she didn't find out until later 
that he knew everything about oh. her. Yeah, it's 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 gross. It's it's one hundred percent grooming. So Thomas Tom was born November eleventh, nineteen fifty seven, and this guy was a loser. He never went to college. He never actually graduated from high school, but he idolized police officers. Now, he couldn't become an actual police officer because, obviously, he didn't graduate high school. He didn't go to college. He never got his GED or anything, but he was able to get a security officer job at the school at Cornell where Tanya went because he lied on his resume. Mm. You know, prior to that, he was a loner. He was an outcast. He was a drug dealer. He's living with his parents with his teenage son, Justin. Damn. Yeah. So he started working at this school like a year before Tanya started there. And Tanya's first interaction with him was after class one day when she she left her last class a little early to go pick up one of her projects from her woodshop class. And Mm -hmm. she was pretty apprehensive of him because she had heard from the other kids and her friends that he was he was mean he was out to get other kids in trouble but he stopped her asked her for her hall pass and you know he was kind of joking around with her and she she was like what are they talking about this guy's nice he's funny Hmm. and after that you know he would always smile at her and say hello in the hallways and that eventually led to them walking and talking together in the halls pretty regularly and so, you know, this that trust is building. Slowly building, yeah. Yeah. And she begins to open up to him a little bit about her life. And, you know, she starts calling him Tom per his request. And it's kind of at that point where she starts to get a little crush on him. Hmm. Now, he's not attractive, really. He's he's pudgy-ish. He's got dark hair. He's got a mustache. He's nothing He's nothing special. But I suppose to her, who has never had really anyone take any sort of interest in her, he's just like, ah. And he's, you know? he's giving her attention. Yeah, yeah. Which, and she says that in her book, and on a lot of the articles, too. So they, they started to bond over Tom's own tumultuous childhood. So the days and weeks and months of this continue to the point that Tanya starts writing notes to Tom, confessing her feelings for him. Uh-oh. Yep. And, you know, he would say to her, oh, I always look forward to your letters you know, they, they put a smile on my face. They make me so happy. And she compared the letters she would write to Tom to her diary entries, except she was basically giving him her diary entries and she knew and he knew what she was saying. Right. And eventually she told him that she loved him. Yikes. Yep. Now, I mean, you can't really blame her because A, she has... No idea. No. And you don't know what love is at that point. No. Whoever. And, you know, when you're just kind of starved for attention and affection and love, you'll take it from whoever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Tanya eventually started cutting class 
Right. Just to be able to spend time with Tom. They would walk in the hallways together and talk and they were spending more and more time together. And Mm -hmm. she was always telling him about the things that were happening at home and how unhappy she was. All the bullshit that Joanne was putting her through and how her dad never seemed to care about her. And he will turn this on her later. And a a big reason, I think, why he was able to keep her for so long is because he convinced her that nobody cared. So anyway, yeah. So like for the first time since moving, she felt like somebody finally cared about her. But she started getting into fights a lot with the other girls at school. Typically, you know, for typical teenage girl reasons, rumors, boyfriends, yada, yada, yada. But Tom... Would always come to Tanya's rescue. He always vouched for her. So she would get the minimal punishment and, you know, she would experience the smallest amount of consequences. And rumors, obviously, about her and Tom started flooding the school. I was wondering when that was. Kids aren't stupid. They see things. They pick up on things. I'm sure some kids somewhere saw them acting in a way that they shouldn't be. Right. So, you remember in the very beginning when I said her family, her school, the police failed her? Yeah. Here's an example of how her school failed her. So, the principal at the time, Mrs. Abrams, became aware of these rumors, obviously. But according to Tanya, the only thing she ever did was tell her to stop spending so much time with Tom. God. Can you fucking imagine? Now, that's something that has changed dramatically from then until now. Oh, for sure. Now, the rumors about Tom solely were pretty prevalent, too. There were rumors that, you know, like he would flirt with several students. He would flirt with the staff. He would touch Mm. people inappropriately. Nothing was done about it. Apparently, he had a, he told the principal, Mrs. Abrams, about the notes, and she told him she'd take care of wow. it. Oh, yeah. See, in this day and age, that pr- not only would Tom be in jail, but she'd be fired. She would yeah. be fired. So, Miss Principal. Your idea of taking care of it is to tell this little girl stop spending so much time with him. Unbelievable. Yeah. What the fuck? <sighs> she didn't take care of it, obviously. At one point she told she told yeah. she she She's a kid. The principal told Tom to expel Tanya. That is not his job. Mm. He didn't. No. Apparently, this woman even watched Tom light a cigarette and give it to Tanya. So, really, we're just seeing over and over an overall failure of every adult in this poor girl's life. Yeah. Even for the 90s, this is crazy. Yeah. I mean, even by the 90s, standards had changed quite a bit. And this was, even then, pretty unacceptable. Yeah. So apparently several of the teachers knew about the love letters, did nothing, but no one's doing anything. Even the school counselor is telling Tom, violating some sort of privacy rule, has to be telling Tom, letting him read their therapy notes together. And wow. Yeah. 
So obviously, because Tanya's skipping school all the time, her grades are suffering. And then, like, the school counselor, Mrs. Burnett, knew she was a, quote-unquote, at-risk student. Yeah. But, according to Pennsylvania law, any student that's considered at-risk is supposed to be referred to an assistant an assistant program. It's it's mandatory for all at-risk kids. This woman never put her in the program. And, you know, there's there's lots of troublesome students at this school. And the McKeesport, McKeesport police were often called to the school to break up fights, take kids away, do this, do that, you know, whatever. Right. But Tom started pointing the finger at Tanya. Which is weird because before he was always defending her. Yeah. But what I think he's doing is like, you know, he's and Tanya, obviously, she doesn't know about any of this. while it's happening. She finds out about all of it later. But I think what he's doing is is he he decided Tanya's the one from the very first day he saw her and he started putting this plan into motion. Right. It's. I'm I'm going to groom her, get her to trust me, get her to do this, while simultaneously setting up her eventual disappearance for mm-hmm. everyone around her, making everyone believe and realize and see that she's this troubled child. Which, you know, I know the disappearance is coming. So right now, knowing what I know, I'm trying to figure out how nobody else around would realize that it was wasn't this guy. <laughs> you know? So I, I'm interested to see how this plays yeah, out. That that uh, we'll get there. So, yeah, Tom's pointing the finger at Tanya. He told one of the officers, you know, well, this girl, she's got a lot of mental and behavioral problems. She's been flirting with and trying to seduce all the male teachers. She tried accusing me of molesting her. Wow. Shut up, dude. You're gross. (laughs) I just... Yeah. So he's saying all this. Meanwhile, he's giving Tanya money. He's giving her snacks. He's giving her Mm -hmm. cigarettes. He bought her a necklace for Christmas. Red flag, red flag. now, January 2nd, 1996, this is where everything really starts to change. Tom caught Tanya and another student hiding under the stairs in the school, cutting class, smoking, you know, whatever. So he sends the other kid to the principal's office, but stayed with Tanya to, I don't know, have a cigarette together. And they were talking. And this is where they kissed for the first time. Now, following this, they would meet under the same stairway Several more times, and you know they would be making out and jeez, yeah, each other and shit. Which, yeah, it's so gross, but it's so sad because you know she she totally had a crush on him. She had no idea. She had no idea what was happening. Right, she's a kid. It takes her a long yeah. It takes her a long time to realize what is actually happening here. Yeah. Now. In, you know, these kind of clandestine meetings, it's it's during these moments that Tanya describes feeling safe and important and at home, which is just so heartbreaking. 
because this is a 30-some-year-old security guard at her school. And, and now we're getting to the point where Tom starts to encourage Tanya to run away. Oh, he's planting the seeds. Yep. So much so to the point that they would sit down together and like create a plan. The plan was, okay, you're going to go to your mom's house. You're going to stay with your mom. This is the bus route you're going to take. Here's money for the bus. So the day came where they were going to, she was going to carry out her plan. She packed a bag, was going to run away to her mom's house. She got on the bus. Right. Yada, yada. But Tanya was pretty surprised to learn that her mom had a new boyfriend. Now, her mom at the time was living with her mom, so Tanya's grandmother, and her aunt. Mm-hmm. And then the boyfriend, Craig, I think was living there, too. I'm not 100% sure. But Craig was, by all accounts at this point, a pretty big douchebag. Yeah. What are you going to know? I mean, his name's Craig, so not surprising. His name is Craig. So, this plan of her running away and staying with her mom was obviously not going to happen because there was no room for her in their little tiny house with three, four some odd people living there. So, she eventually went back to her house with her dad and Joanne. Now, January 28th, 1996, which just so happened to be Super Bowl Sunday, Tanya ran ran away again. She called Tom and he said, well, my parents aren't here because Tom lives with his parents. Oh, God. 30-some years old. What are you going to do? So, he said, well, my parents aren't here. You can come over here and stay for a while. But Tom's son, Justin, was there. Ooh. But he said, you don't, like, you don't fucking say a word about this girl. Right. And Justin was like, hmm? Yes, Dad. Okay. <laughs> so, Tom brought Tanya into his room and the way she describes it it sounds like it was a teenage boys room who was really into sports there was memorabilia trophies posters it was super cramped and unappealing and just kind of so he never grew up basically yeah but him him and justin shared a room so i'm not a hundred percent sure who the decor belonged to, right. but I feel like the point is Tom being 30 some years old, let the room be like, it's, right. it's not, it's neither here nor there. It's just, bleh. they're sitting on the bed, they're making out and he's telling her, you know, I'm just, I'm so happy. I don't want to let you go. Why don't you just spend the night? Nobody cares about you anyway. So she spent the night. And then the next day, Monday, Tom went to work and Tanya stayed behind and remained in his room. Locked the door so, you know, when his parents eventually came home, they wouldn't go down there, open the door and find a teenage girl yeah. in there. So during this time, she she was given a bucket. She, to pee in? Oh, my God. Because the bathroom was, like, upstairs or something, like, in a main part oh. of the house. So, she had a bucket. And, you know, she's, she couldn't watch TV because then his parents would be like, why is TV on? So, she entertained herself by studying the floorboards 
so she knew which ones she could step on without them creaking. Yeah, this is before cell phones, so you couldn't entertain yourself with that. Right. No social media, no Twitter, no podcasts. (laughs) Right. How boring. A day or two later, Tom brought her over to his friend Judy's house. Wow. So... And Judy was okay with this? Yeah, because Tom and Judy, like, go upstairs or go in the other room, and they're talking for a while. And when they come back, Judy's like, hey, you can stay here for a few days. I know all about what's going on at home. Stay with me. Which I think this Judy lady meant well at first. And she is one of the people who for sure could have done something later. But I just really want to know what the hell is wrong with all of these people. Yeah. Anyway, Tanya's living with Judy now or staying with her. And Judy's like, you know, why don't you like, why don't you just go stay with your mom? Tell her what's happening at home with Joanne and your dad and they'll for sure make room for you at their house. Why wouldn't Mm, they? I don't think so. So Tanya calls her mom, couldn't get a hold of her. So she ended up calling her aunt Cindy Cindy couldn't come and pick her up, but Cindy's husband, Tanya's uncle, Greg, came to pick her up. Uh-oh. This guy is something else. You know, he picks her up. They're sitting in the car. He pulls up his waistband or pulls up his shirt, shows her a gun he's got on his waist, and then starts talking to 14-year-old Tanya about his lack of sex life. Oh, my God. And he's hired prostitutes. He said he even propositioned her mother for a blowjob. Jesus. And this sick fuck tells Tanya that he used to masturbate to her pictures. Oh, my God. And then he pulls off the road. Uh-oh. So Tanya knew. She knew. She was like, what the fuck? And she says to him, she says, quote, Uncle Greg, I don't feel about you that way. I think of you as a father figure. Yeah. Uncle Greg. <laughs> I mean, come on. Jesus. Yeah. And she said that must have caught him off guard and maybe snapped him out of his little perverted world he was living in because he took her back to her dad's house. Good. Yeah. And she obviously tells her dad and Joanne about what happened. And they fucking accuse her of lying. Oh, my God. She's rejected by her mom. She's rejected by her dad. She's almost fucking raped by her uncle. Yuck. And she calls Tom. Because Tom's the only one that Who's seems there to for give her. a shit. Yeah. yeah. So Tom convinces Judy into taking Tanya back again. So, February 10th, 1996, Tanya packs a bag and takes off. Now, Joanne apparently saw her leave. Yeah. But unbeknownst to anybody else, this was the last time that Joanne, her father, or her family would see her for more than a decade. (laughs) 
Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's absolutely free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a whole lot more. Basically, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah. And you want to know what else? You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which is really cool. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So now we're at Judy's house. We're in it for the long haul now. And for the first month or so, Tanya's going back and forth between Judy's place and Tom's place. So Tom, when Tom's parents were gone, he would call Judy and be like, all right, send her over because they only lived a few blocks from each other. So Tanya would just walk on down to Tom's house. Yeah. But I'm just kind of like, what the fuck, Judy? You don't... Well, Judy's totally complicit at this point. Yeah, like, you don't think this is fucking weird? Yeah. I mean, I want to believe that Judy was just like, okay, we're helping this little girl. We're giving her a safe place to stay. At best, at best, she was apathetic. Yeah. At worst, she was an accessory. I mean, that's all there is to it. Yeah. Now, Tanya doesn't realize that she's basically been kidnapped at this point because she thinks she's in love with Tom. She thinks Tom's in love with her. Now, one night, Tom and Tanya were hanging out at Judy's house. They were sitting on the futon watching TV or doing something, and he was drunk and wanted to have sex. So Tanya rightfully so, was pretty terrified about this because, mind you, she still she still had her faith. She had her promise to God to not have sex until, you know, she was married. But she felt like she couldn't deny him anymore. And he he raped yeah. her. Jesus. He had pr- and, and he had probably been trying for quite some time at that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's she said up until this point that there was a lot of heavy petting going on and he you know she she was still a virgin and she said that you know she had she she was in pain and tom saw that and he backed off immediately with tears on his eyes tears in his eyes rolled over and passed out then the next morning Tanya woke up and she broke down because she felt that she had just condemned herself to hell for breaking her promise to God, which is just the whole thing is heartbreaking. But that little bit in and of itself is heartbreaking, too. Now, Tom's like, well, you know, she's you know, we're we're keeping her safe from her dad and her abusive mom. And people think, you know. People are starting to ask questions, so we we have to disguise her because she's walking back and forth from my house to your house, so we got to dye her hair. So he had Judy dye Tanya's hair red, and Tom hated it. 
because Tom's ex-wife had red hair. So they added blonde highlights to it, and that made it fine. Now, in March is when this all changed and she started staying with Tom full-time because, obviously, Tanya's dad had noticed that she had been gone for more than a month. Yeah. He he called the the police. About fucking time. Yeah. But, you know, he... She ran away frequently. She ran away all the time. And he thought that she was staying with her mom and hiding out at her mom's house. And her mom was basically just lying, saying, no, she's not here. So, you know, like the family services got involved. And I'm, I couldn't find, Tanya mentions this in her book, but I couldn't find out for sure why. But the family services did contact Judy. Wow. To ask her if she knew anything about where Tanya might be. Just the fact that they connected the dots to Judy is interesting. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure how they connected anything to her, but it doesn't really matter because she lied to them, said no, and got no idea where she is. But she also said she can't come to my house anymore. Which she should have said in the very beginning, but yeah. That's besides the point. Yeah. So she would remain, Tanya would remain inside Tom's house, never leaving for the next four years. Inside Tom's parents' house, though, right? Inside Tom's bedroom. Wow. Inside Tom's parents' house. Unbelievable. Yeah. So she spent all of her days alone. In there because Tom went to work. His son, Justin, went to school because Justin's still there. Tom has custody of Justin. Yeah. And still, she's not realizing she's been kidnapped. So, you know, she would sit in the room. She would read books. She would exercise in the corner. She did get some headphones that she could plug into the TV. So she was able to watch TV. Um, She said for the most part, she would eat like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches And Tom would bring her leftovers from dinner if he was able to, because, you know, his parents have no idea. And she said, like, twice a week in the middle of the night, he would sneak her down into, like, the cellar so she could take a shower. So, unsurprisingly, she started to lose a lot of weight, and eventually she did develop anorexia. And she had psoriasis, too, that became so bad at at one point that she still today has scars from it. Now, you know, she says that she did get sick a handful of times, but Tom would never take her to the doctor. He just basically made her suffer with whatever sickness she was dealing with. And he told her to just, quote unquote, deal with it. And there was one point where she got head lice. And Tom said... Well, if I get head lice or my son gets head lice, he said he would kill her and throw her body in a river. Oh, my fucking God. Well, she got it being at your place, douchebag. Exactly. She doesn't leave. Yeah. Where, where did she get it from if, 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 if not your dumbass or your kid? Like, mm-hmm. hello? You're the ones that brought it to her. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't know how he didn't notice that he or his kid didn't have it, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, so Tanya's starting to realize that this bliss of living with the man she's 
in love with is not all it's cracked up to be. Things she things are starting to escalate and get weird. So she decided to write, you know, a kind of quote unquote last will and testament so that if he did kill her and it was traced back to him, she wrote down her name, her parents' name, and a few other things on this piece of paper. So, you know, someone would know if someone found it, someone would know I was here. It's me. This is this is how you identify me, basically. And she hid the paper under the carpet in the closet. Now, you know, it's it's been months of this. So in October of 96, so just right around the time of her 15th birthday, she decided that she had enough and she wanted to leave. So she packed her stuff up and she said to Tom, I'm ready to go. I want to go. I want to leave. And he was like, well, you know, if you, you know, nobody cares about you. If you leave, you're going to have to live on the streets. And then he said to her, quote, if you ever try to leave me, I will kill you. Oh, my God. So that right there planted that fear inside of her. Probably for a long time to come that she wouldn't want to leave. Yeah. And you want to know what happens next? Hmm. You're going to have to wait until next week because this is the end of part one. Oh, you're doing that to us. I am. I'm leaving you with a big freaking cliffhanger. See, I'm just like the listeners here because I have no idea what's coming. So Yeah, we're starting it off with a bang with a two-parter with an absolutely insane in the membrane case. Ooh, I even like that 90s reference, insane in the membrane. That's perfect. Insane. In the, insane in the membrane. Oh, yeah, that's how it goes. Insane, insane. in the brain. <laughs> I kick your ass like a looter in a riot. Incredible. Marvelous. Entertaining. That's all I got. But you know what is also marvelous and entertaining? Yes. Our social media websites. Segway. Come hang out with us in the Tweetoverse on Natural the Pod. Come check out our Instagram page, Unnatural the Podcast. We also have a Facebook page, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Send us a Gmail, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. And consider signing up for our Patreon page where you will get early access to ad-free episodes, bonus content, and more. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And as always, please be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. We will continue this story next time. Are you going to do the uh, the thing? As always... Make good choices and don't let creepy old men at your school seduce you, groom you, kidnap you, and unalive you. That's all we have for season two premiere of Unnatural. See ya.
Go away. What do you want? Insane in the brain!